Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of the CNS Controversies in Neurosurgery podcast. My co-host, Dr. Seth Oliveria, and I, Rushna, we are excited to hear our guest speaker today, Dr. Kelly Foote, who is a professor of neurosurgery at the University of Florida, talk about the nuances and the controversies associated with selecting GPI versus STN targets for Parkinson's disease. Welcome, Dr. Foote. To start off the conversation, um, who who do you think in your practice or even outside of your practice is an ideal candidate for STN versus GPI DBS? Oh, well, um, I certainly gravitate toward um, STN DBS in patients who have debilitating intention tremor. Uh, and to some degree, even people who have severe resting tremor, I feel like we do a little bit better um, in STN, at least in the short run with resting tremor. Over time, STN performs better at suppressing intention tremor. Uh, so, so that's one of the main things I sort of gravitate toward STN for. Um, GPI, the, the thing that I see most frequently that makes me really want to be in GPI rather than STN are patients with severe motor fluctuations that have debilitating uh, dyskinesia. Uh, I, I feel like we do a much better job suppressing dyskinesia with GPI stimulation than STN stimulation. Um, I, I, th those are sort of off the bat, the two things that push me in the direction of one or the other. Um, and then there are a bunch of softer indications for both. Uh, I think in general, GPI is a larger, more forgiving target. So if your objective is to uh, stimulate for therapeutic benefit with the least possible disruption of normal information flow, meaning disruption of uh, surrounding circuitry that you don't would, you would you would rather not disrupt. It's easier to do that in uh, GPI than STN. So um, you mentioned some of the some of the softer indications, and since this is uh, you know controversies in neurosurgery uh, podcast, what are some of those softer indications? Um, if you want to delve into some of those, um, well, you know, if you want me to be controversial, <laughs> I, I would say if if you are not good at targeting. Um, Meaning if, if you use indirect targeting of stereotactic targets based solely on uh, the relative position and an atlas to the midcommissural point, then I think you should absolutely use STN only. Um, I think I, I made the mistake in the past of assuming that um, people who were asking me, you know, when would you use GPI? We're targeting with indirect targeting methods and optimized imaging. And I think one, one really important thing to understand about the two targets is um, what I believe to be the reason that Benabid gravitated toward STN as a better target in the first place, which is uh, the position of the subthalamic nucleus relative to the midcommissural point is much more consistent 
than the position of the internal globus pallidus relative to the midcommissural point. So if, if someone asks the question, what are the coordinates that you target for GPI, that person shouldn't be targeting GPI because the, the, they're highly variable. And um, I think uh, I actually, uh, when I was working with Professor Benabid, um, I looked back at his GPI cases. Um, and of course he did 15, uh, GPI DBS cases trying to recapitulate the pallidotomy experience before he started doing STN DBS. And uh, the STN DBS experience was based on um, the work of Malin DeLong and others. Uh, and interestingly, he got much more consistent results in STN than he did in GPI. Um, and I looked back through his GPI cases and as best I could uh, measured the position of the DBS leads um, with the imaging that admittedly wasn't super high quality back then. Um, but uh, I, I believe that I found a correlation and he had essentially uh, five, five and five. He had five really good results, five sort of, you know, patients who did really well clinically, five who got some benefit, but it was sort of disappointing, and five who had bad outcomes, um, meaning, you know, not, not worthwhile outcomes. And when I measured those, it, I, what I believe I found was um, that those five who had bad outcomes were not, uh, didn't, their lead positions were uh, suboptimal relative to the internal globus pallidus. So I think with using the methodology of targeting we were in the time, which was ventriculography, stereotactic ventriculography, um, and indirect targeting based on you know the ACPC coordinates, uh, I really think that STN is a, is a better target because it's more consistent uh, in its position relative to the uh, mid-commissural point. So, um, Dr. Foote, um, the, the guidelines for, for, you know, these two targets um, suggest that really kind of the motor outcomes are, are similar, um, regardless of the target. And, and you know, that, that's sort of been the result of kind of several clinical trials. But, um, you know, as you alluded to at the beginning, I think we all believe that there are differences in terms of motor outcomes. What, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, well, I think that our outcome measures are insufficiently refined to really uh, character and, and frankly, the, the, and, and the studies that we run to try to compare them are, so we have insufficient power and outcome measures that are not refined enough to pick up some of the subtle difference. Uh, so I think that's part of the problem. But, but I do think that the finding that has now been, been uh, concluded from multiple studies that the motor outcomes are similar uh, is a valid finding. Um, so I don't think in the beginning, when we first started doing our STN versus GPI prospective randomized trials, 
you know, we were anticipating that one target was going to be better. And the conclusion that we reached and, and the others have since reached, uh, I think, is that uh, with regard to motor outcome, at least, uh, one of the targets is not clearly superior than the other. And then uh, one other thing I was going to ask, I, I, I know that, you know, you kind of glossed over this. We, we kind of talked about the patient who's the ideal one for for uh, certain targets, but um, kind of the, um, the asking the question in reverse, you know, are there other, you know, I, times when you would specifically avoid one target for a certain patient versus um, a certain target versus the, the other for individual patient? Oh yeah, actually, I think that question is every bit as interesting as the other question um, and, and useful. Uh, uh, certainly, the um, the patient who has, um, you know, I can answer in reverse. Uh, the patient who has severe dyskinesia that are very problematic and and that they list among their top couple of of complaints. Uh, that patient, I avoid STN because. Um, in, in some trivial percentage of STN DBS patients, um, we actually induce induce dyskinesia uh, with with stimulation, and we have a really hard time uh, controlling the dyskinesia. So, if the patient says, you know, the one thing that bothers me the most is the dyskinesia, which is the minority of patients for sure. But if you know, I ask I ask every patient before DBS when I first meet them. What are the symptoms that bother you the most? And let's rank them in order of most to least important to your quality of life. And if if they list as number one or number two problematic dyskinesia, then I, I actually avoid. I'm, I'm nervous about STN in those patients. Mm -hmm. um, I would say uh, GPI is a, is as I mentioned earlier, sort of a forgiving target, and so. Um, minimize this risk um, associated with uh, stimulus of or disruption of surrounding circuitry. Um, and, and in our original STN versus GPI trial, the, the compare trial, where we randomized a bunch of patients, um, I, there were a couple of really interesting findings. One was that um, that we didn't dwell on too much, really, um, but I think it's an important one. Uh, there were substantially more uh, circuitry adverse effects in the STN group than in the GPI group. So people who have severe anxiety disorders, um, comorbid depression, uh, significant uh, psychiatric circuitry disorders, along with Parkinson's disease, I sort of shy away from STN. Uh, just because I think it's a little bit harder to not spread current into the limbic circuitry in STN. It's a little bit easier to do that in the GPI because they're more physically separated. Um, another, while I'm on the, the topic of the COMPARE trial um, and relevant to the question you asked, uh, in the COMPARE trial, uh, every once in a while I would get a patient who had severe dystonia. Uh, and dystonia was by far their worst most problematic symptom. And in those patients, I at the time was very nervous about STN DBS for uh, Parkinson patients with severe dystonia as their primary problem. 
And I think had we not been randomizing patients at the time, I probably never would have used STN in that population of patients. But those patients who had dystonia as the primary problem who got randomized to STN actually did beautifully. And, and there really was no difference between STN and BPI for the treatment of dystonia, although I think a lot of people still sort of gravitate toward GPI in patients who are primarily dystonic. Uh, but I'm, I'm not as nervous about that as I used to be. And works great for that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and you could, um, we could have another controversies podcast about using sort of STN for primary dystonia, but I know there's some people who are interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but go ahead, right. Ashna. So, uh, really interesting point about um, avoiding STN in patients with bothersome dyskinesias. Uh, just to elaborate, uh, have you elaborate on that a little bit further, Dr. Fudd? Um, now, most often, uh, Parkinson's patients have dyskinesias that are medication induced, and uh, you know most of the community still thinks that with uh, an STN target, you can come down on their uh, dopamine medications um, a lot more easily than with GPI, although there's uh, you know, evidence suggesting otherwise uh, that GPI is, is pretty great for medication reduction as well. So keeping that in mind, um, how, how would you go about counseling your patients or you know, training, training your young fellows as they as they come through on how to how to balance the two out medication reduction versus potentially stimulation uh, uh, potentially deal having to deal with uh, stimulation induced dyskinesias with an STN implant sure um, I think the data is pretty strong actually on medication reduction um, and I think even though you know people point out you know some problematic things like um, maybe they didn't try as hard in GPI or whatever. We found um, in our prospective randomized trial that our STN patients had more medication reduction than our GPI patients, and I and I haven't seen a trial that has found the opposite of that. So that that's a that is a true statement that I believe. Um, so if your primary goal is medication reduction, then I think STN better target. Um, I will qualify that in a couple of ways. Um, medication reduction uh, is not a long-term solution, uh, meaning you know, if you look at one-year or even two-year outcomes, then the STN, the meditation reduction you get in STN is terrific, uh, and the patients are happy with that. Um, but the truth is, my objective is rarely to get the patient off their medication. Um, and my objective is to make the patient the most highly functional human being that I can make them. And you almost always accomplish that with a combination of medication and stimulation. And over time, you know, you, you sort of maximize the beneficial effect of the stimulation once you, you're optimally programmed. <clears throat> and you can't really turn it up to get more effect or you'll you'll cause stimulation-induced adverse effects. Um, so you're left with, in the long-term, uh, really medication adjustments uh, and 
I think that GPI is a bit more forgiving um, because um, I, I will grant that you can uh, achieve reduction of dyskinesia in SGN by reducing the amount of medication that the patient takes. Um, but in some population of patients category, you're going to, in the long term, run into dose, medication dose-limiting dyskinesia. And, um, and, you know, there's a small percentage of patients in that category who have SDN-DBS at five years with problematic dyskinesia we rescue with, with, with uh, UPI. Um, so, I mean, those are things that sort of go through my mind. You know, my primary objective is, is not usually medications. I mean, that is a moderate effect, but it rarely ranks at the top of the list. Occasionally it does. Um, in patients who have uh, problematic dyskinesia and in whom we achieve dyskinesia reduction by stimulating an STN, alleviating their motor symptoms, and diminishing the dopaminergic medication that they take, you know, that, that I will grant that that is a great solution and, and patients are happy. Some percentage of those patients who are initially happy, however, in the long term uh, will develop, uh, you know, once you get the maximal beneficial effect from stimulation of the STN uh, and you're left as the patient's Parkinson's disease progresses with medication adjustments as, re as you're really your only uh, tool left, um, some of those patients will have dyskinesia even with STN stimulation that is dose-limiting their medication. And in some small percentage, we end up rescuing those patients with GBI stimulation, adding GBI stimulators just, just to alleviate their dyskinesia. It, it gives them a little boost in their... Um, reduction of motor symptoms with GPI stim, but it also uh, suppresses the dyskinesia and enables you to use medication in that patient population who needs So I guess the, what the point is that GPI tends to be a more forgiving uh, long-term treatment solution. Dr. Foote, um, I to try to you know push you towards something more controversial here. <laughs> Not that you haven't already said, <laughs> okay. said, said several things. So, so if you were going to hazard a prediction, do you think there's any changes in you know sort of what we've talked about that are coming with you know, as we use more directional leads? Uh, well, I I worry um, I worry that people are overconfident in the ability of directional leads to compensate for, for poor targeting. Um, and, and if people become less meticulous and precise and careful in their stereotactic targeting because they think, well, it's a directional lead and you can, you know, you can remediate uh, a poorly placed DBS lead and you can still get a, a beneficial effect, I think if that is a prevalent attitude, then the entire field is in trouble because you know, the, the amount of directionality that directional leads provide is, is very small. 
And I, I still believe, even with the best directional leads, that uh, no amount of expert programming or directionality can compensate for a poorly positioned DDS. Is that what you were hoping I would say? Yeah, no, you know, I, I didn't know what you would say. That's why I asked it. <laughs> uh, and I guess, you know, the opposite. So a well-placed lead, do you, you think that makes, you know, for example, an STN, a well-placed STN lead, do you think it's a little more forgiving for that patient you might otherwise be a little nervous about? Absolutely. In fact, um, there, there was a period of time where I was using um, one hardware manufacturer for all my STN cases. Uh, and another one for the GPI cases for that very reason, because I felt like STN is a smaller target, it's less forgiving, and even that little bit of benefit that I can get from directionality in that small, unforgiving target uh, is, is, is absolutely worthwhile. Um, and, you know, of course, I, I don't think it's bad to have directionality in the GPI target. I just think it, it uh, is less critical. Um, but at this point, I use directional leads for everyone, and, and I certainly think everyone should because it's beneficial technology. Just think we'd be cautious about the attitude that we don't. Maybe we don't have to be as careful in our in our targeting as, as we did before because of directional leads. I think that that would be a, a major mistake. In, in that same vein of technological advances, um, have you adopted closed loop stimulation in your practice, and um, how has that uh, changed the changed the algorithm for you? Um, well, uh, closed loop deep brain stimulation for movement disorders is, of course, investigational at this point. So, um, the the answer is yes. I have. A handful of patients out there on experimental protocols with Tourette syndrome and and Parkinson's disease, who are actively in closed loop mode, um, but I, but I think it's not ready for prime time. Uh, I think intuitively it makes sense that uh, having therapeutic stimulation that uh, optimizes itself based on some meaningful. Um, Neurologic signal, uh, you know, some meaningful biomarker, um, is going to produce better outcomes. And um, right now, we use sensing in vast majority of Parkinson's patients, um, and we record and we look at beta signals, various contacts, uh, and we try to use that in conjunction with our. Uh, lead localization and, and depictions of the contacts in three-dimensional uh, anatomical space uh, to optimize our programming and, and simplify our programming. Uh, but of course, you know, it's it's not quite ready. And um, I think in 10 years, uh, maybe 15, all DBS will be adaptive. Uh, I just can't imagine that we wouldn't exploit that that possibility of responding because none of the disorders we treat are static disorders, right? And brain circuitry uh, is not static. So we need uh, to optimize things. We, we need uh, dynamic changes in stimulation. And as the technology improves, becomes more complex, uh, we, we right now, the programming solutions 
are falling behind the technological advances. So if you want to exploit all of the technology available currently, um, it, it's really a time drain on the programmers. You know, it takes a lot of time and energy and it's not practical for high volume sensors to, to do that on every patient. So I think adaptive DVS ultimately is gonna result in devices that uh, with some help essentially program themselves and, and optimize outcomes. Fantastic. Um, if there are no other questions, uh, we will um, wrap this up. Uh, we thank you for your time and for this great discussion. Um, and a big thank you to our, all of our listeners for tuning in for this podcast. Please follow us on social media. Our Twitter handles are at Rushnali6 and at Seth Oliveria, as well as at CNS Update. Uh, please follow us for upcoming podcast episodes and other educational material. Thank you, everyone.